Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Welcome to a special edition of the RV Book Fair 2023, featuring three captivating stories today. Our first guest is the talented author Gary Smith, who shares the real story on the road with Annie and the bat. On the road with Annie and the bat. I woke to a bright fall morning, lying in bed, wondering what to do with the rest of the week. I'd finished everything on my wife's to-do list, and it was only Wednesday. She would be busy with work all week, and sitting watching TV was not on my list. Maybe I should take a trip with the motor home for the rest of the week. As the thought entered my head, I felt a stir at the end of the bed. I looked down, and Annie, who had been asleep and enjoying the coolness of the autumn morning, was now sitting up, staring at me. Annie is an 18-pound black Tibetan terrier. She is my constant companion and traveling partner. Annie and I seem to be connected intuitively, which I have never experienced with my other dogs. As I look down at her at the foot of the bed, she gives me a nod of her head, indicating, Great idea. Okay, Annie, how about we load up the motorhome and head down to Pismo Beach? With that comment, she was off the bed and sitting at the door. Whoa, girl, let's not get carried away. I still have to shower and get dressed. My wife is younger and still working very hard with her business. I'm retired, giving Annie and me a lot of time to find adventures. I got up and called the wife to let her know we would be gone a few days. Then I showered and we were off to Safeway. We got to the motorhome and I started it up to warm up while I checked it over and packed away the food. Annie sat and inspected every item of food as I put it away. I got to the last bag, and there was an intensity building in her inspection. I reached in the bag and pulled out a box of her favorite treats. With a double nod of the head, she turned and headed to the front of the motorhome. She jumped up to her spot on the passenger seat. I hooked up the tow vehicle, and we were off to Pismo. Pismo Beach is about a four-hour drive south on Highway 101 from home. About two hours into our trip, near Salinas, I was in the right-hand lane, coming up on a small truck towing a tractor. I looked in my mirror to pass, but a large semi-truck trailer was beginning to pass me on my left. It was at this moment that a creature made its move and started flying around inside the motorhome. My first thought was that it was a giant moth, but it was too fast. 
The space between my face and the windshield of the motorhome is about three feet. It was in this three-foot by seven-foot wide area, the width of the motorhome, that this creature decided to do its stunt flying. It would come to within a half inch of my face. It was the exact moment the semi was passing on my left within inches out my window. It made one wrong move, and it hit the driver's side window and fell within inches of my arm. It looked like a flying mouse. That's when I realized it was a bat. Within less than a second, it was gone and flying again. It was as if it was attacking me, wanting control of the motorhome. It would brush my head and face. Coming up in a mile was an off-ramp. I slowed and drove with one hand, waving my free arm like a lunatic. Finally, I made it to the off-ramp. Just as I started off the freeway, it disappeared. I got off the freeway and found a place to park across from a small restaurant. I opened the two-foot by three-foot driver's side window. Then I went into the restaurant to get something to eat. I thought it would find the open window and leave. I couldn't drive two more hours battling a bat. I sat in the restaurant, thinking about all I knew about bats. Weren't they supposed to wake at dusk and sleep in the day? What about their radar? How did it hit the window? After about thirty minutes, I returned to the motorhome and armed myself with a dish towel. I started the motorhome and went through it, making noise and hunting the bat. Nothing. It must have taken the hint and left by way of the open window. The rest of the way to Pismo was uneventful. Annie and I settled in and went for a hike in the sand dunes. It was beginning to get dark, so we returned to the motorhome and I began to prepare dinner. That was when the bat resumed its attack. I opened the door to the motorhome as well as the sizable driver's side window. I grabbed my dish towel and mounted my counterattack. It wanted to get back to the bedroom in the back of the motorhome. I tried to keep forcing it to the front and the open door and window. The battle raged for about 15 minutes. I waved the towel like a lunatic, hitting water bottles, salt and pepper shakers, everything on the counters. Why would it not head out one of the openings to the open sky and the last vestiges of light before complete darkness? Finally, it was gone. I closed the door and window and began cleaning up. The rest of the evening was calm and back to normal. The following day, I got up and prepared breakfast for Annie and myself. After eating and doing the dishes, I decided to clean the motorhome inside before taking Annie to the pier at Pismo Beach. The last thing I needed to do was to vacuum. Just as I was finishing, out of nowhere came the bat, and the battle resumed. I opened the front door and grabbed my towel. I was battling the bat for about ten minutes. The commotion caught the attention of the gentleman in the trailer next to me. He came venturing over to see what the hell was going on. He peered around the corner of the open door. The bat saw him and went after him, with me right behind, waving the towel like a madman. The gentleman ducked as the bat went by his head, made a quick U-turn, and started to come back to the door to get in. I shut the door. After a moment, I opened the door. Standing there was one shocked elderly man. My neighbor. Good morning, I said. In an inquisitive and still surprised look, he replied, Good morning? Was that a bat? Yes, it was. 
I'm not sure I would ever have gotten it out if you hadn't come over and opened a second front to the battle. Thank you. Would you like a cup of coffee? Thank you, I would. It was a beautiful morning, and I brought out two cups of coffee and two Danish. We sat at the table and spent the next hour swapping camping stories. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Next up is Diane Floyd Bim, an accomplished author of many children's books, presenting her latest young adult book, Ruby Takes Chicago. Rise, A Girl's Struggle for More by Diane Floyd Bame. Chapter 4, The Decision. Background. It takes place in the 1920s. Ruby's dad dropped her off to visit her best friend Bessie at her mom's store. Ruby pushed the door open, and like clockwork, the bells chimed, announcing her entrance into the store. Bessie's mom greeted her with a warm welcome, with Bessie not far behind. Bessie had been expecting Ruby. She ran to her and grabbed her hand to lead her back to the design room, where they flipped through the new catalogs and magazines, ooing and aahing over the latest fall fashions in the Vogue. Oh my God! Goodness, Ruby squealed and pointed to the movie star Betty Compson modeling a stunning frock. Bessie giggled. Can you imagine what our mama would say if we asked them to make that dress for us? Well, I would not even get the words out of my mouth before my mama would say. <clears throat> Ruby cleared her throat and raised the pitch of her voice. Land sakes, Ruby, have you lost your mind? No daughter of mine's gonna walk around town dressed like that. <laughs> they both laughed. You sound just like her. <laughs> Bessie snorted, which made them laugh even harder. Bessie closed the magazine and leaned forward to whisper in Ruby's ear. Guess what? My mama has decided to order a few ready-made dresses for the girls our age to see how they would do. Just regular church dresses and a few dance dresses. Bessie looked back into the shop to see if her mother could hear them. Then she turned back to Ruby. She's ordering only one size of each so that no one is wearing the same dress. Oh, Bessie, that's a bee's knees. Your mama was so smart to be the first fabric store around here to offer ready-made dresses for the ladies. But now for us, too? Ruby sighed. <laughs> I bet she'll sell them to all the oil men's wives and daughters in town. 
Exactly, Bessie nodded. That's what my mama said to Daddy. He just rolled his eyes. But lucky for Mama, she ran her family shop before she even met my Daddy. So she has the final say. Whoa, you don't hear many women having the final say over a man out here. Ruby was impressed. You know the law. When a woman marries, what is hers becomes her husband's property. Your mama is lucky. Yeah, Daddy doesn't know it, but Mama is teaching me how to make him think it's his idea so that he feels like he's in charge. <laughs> Ruby rolled her eyes. I know exactly what you're talking about. My Mama calls it the best-kept secret when she says, Now you know your father knows best. Well, that's code for... I'll take care of it, don't you fret. <laughs> they both laughed again. They were always laughing when they were together. It was what made being together so much fun. Okay, new topic, Bessie said. Ruby knew that Bessie meant she was ready to talk about something else. Ruby liked that about Bessie, as Bessie was not one to ramble on and on over a topic. Ruby also loved the confidence Bessie had about who she was. Bessie did not feel she needed people's approval. Either you liked how she did things or not. If you didn't, then you didn't have to be her friend. It was as simple as that. Ruby enjoyed her frankness. They both agreed to use the phrase, new topic. Even if one of them didn't want to change the subject, it made their friendship work. Bessie looked around to see if her mama was in earshot, then leaned over to whisper into Ruby's ear. Did you know Arthur Woods is going to be at the game? Well, I assumed he would be. Why? Bessie looked at her puzzled. What do you mean, why? You know he still likes you. Not just likes you, but he likes you. Bessie squeezed Ruby's hand. Ruby smiled and then quickly shifted and shrugged. I don't know any such thing. I made it very clear to him that I needed to focus on my studies. Bessie laughed. You know, Ruby, boys love it when a girl plays hard to get. You just made it more fun for Arthur. Well, that's his problem, not mine. I don't play those silly games. I hear my brothers talking, and I have no intention of being one of those girls boys talk about in the locker room or the study hall or anywhere else for that matter. Ruby crossed her arms and turned away from her friend. Goodness, Ruby, you don't have to get your fiery auburn hair all in a tiff. Your Irish blood is starting to show, for heaven's sakes. Not to be outpouted, Bessie crossed her arms, too. Then she smiled and reached out and tapped Ruby on the shoulder. Truce, she held out her hand. Okay, truce, Ruby agreed, and they shook hands once up and once down. One thing's for sure, I'm going to have fun at the big game, said Bessie. Say, I know. At the halftime, let's meet up. What do you say? Hmm. On one condition, Bessie, Ruby warned. You do not trick me and bring Arthur along. I certainly don't want to lead him on. Deal? Ruby stuck out her hand. Bessie shook it. 
still, but you don't beat all, Ruby. They were still giggling when they heard the bells announce Ruby's daddy entering the shop. They both started laughing even harder, but cupped their hands over their mouths, hoping he didn't hear them. Ruby, it's time to go, her daddy called out. I'll be right there, she called back. Ruby and Bessie put the magazines away and walked to the front of the store where Edith and James were exchanging pleasantries as they waited for their daughters. Did you find the dress pattern you wanted, Ruby? Bessie's mother asked as the girls entered the main part of the store. Not yet, but I heard you'll be selling ready-made dresses in a couple of days. Ooh, Bessie glared at Ruby as she was not to have said anything. Ruby ignored her friend's stare and continued. I think this is grand, Mrs. Scott. Mrs. Scott chuckled. I see Betsy let you in on our little secret. She shook her head and smiled. It's really okay. It's time the word gets out. Ruby looked at Bessie and saw she was relieved with her mama's reaction. I'll come back with my mama and maybe she'll let me have just one ready-made dress if I pick out material for her to make me one as well. Splendid! And thank you for being excited about our new venture. Be sure to tell all your friends. Oh, don't worry, I will. First thing Monday morning, Ruby promised. Gosh, ready-made dresses. It will be the big news at school for all the girls. And it sounds like you have lots to choose from. Mrs. Scott beamed at Ruby. They all knew word of mouth was the best advertisement. See you at the game, Bessie, Ruby called over his shoulders. Her father tipped his hat and wished them a good day as they walked out the door. Ah, Ruby, Friday evening's football game's going to be something else, he said as they approached the motor car. I know, Daddy, but I just wish they would not play both of my brothers at the same time. When they tackle one of my friend's brothers, my friends give me a hard time. She paused, getting into the motor car. Besides, I don't like how they call my brothers the terrible Dinsmore boys, even though I know it's a compliment. Her daddy cranked the motor car, and they both climbed in. Ruby, you should be proud of your brothers. If that's all you have to worry about in this town, consider yourself lucky. Ruby recognized his tone of voice, which meant business. Yes, sir. Ruby knew there was no way trying to explain her feelings. Her daddy lived for Friday night football and had big dreams for his boys. He dreamed of them going on to the university, playing football, and making it big in the world. Ruby also knew her daddy expected her to graduate from high school, marry, and have a load of kids. She shuddered at the thought. Men provide and women take care of the men and babies. Women are the nurturers of the family, he would say to his boys. No discussion, just a fact. If Ruby was an earshot when something like this was stated, she would debate the issue. She was sure he would say it just to get her all worked up, and they would have a heated discussion on how the world was changing for women. Ruby knew she was falling into her daddy's trap, 
but she welcomed the challenge of speaking to him about politics and the world. She wanted him to remember she had a mind of her own and was just as an intelligent, if not even more so than some of her brothers. But today was not the day for a debate. Football fever was in the air, and Ruby decided just to let it go. The ride home was a reminder of how the world was changing, and the state of Oklahoma was changing right along with it. These days, Ruby's daddy always drove his motor car to and from the big city of Drumright, and as they made their way home, they passed men on horseback, horses and buggies, and the occasional motor car as well. Ruby contemplated the various ways to travel and marveled how far technology has brought the world. Horses, buggies, to motor cars. Drivers needed to be careful of the buggies and the men on horseback. They had to watch out for horses that might have gotten out of the barn and wandered onto the road, too. It took some getting used to. Every once in a while, you would hear about a motor car hitting a horse, and it was not a pretty sight to see or to hear the gory details. Yes, times are changing, Ruby thought to herself, and I'm going to be part of that chain. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Our third guest is the wonderful Frank DiMaio, who engages us with the story titled The Voyagers. On the night of the killing, an argument wakes Giacomo from the hall of the brothel. Opening the door, he sees a man with a hand aptly placed around the voice box of a sailor, his face changing color as the grip tightens to silence his rebuttal. Making eye contact with Giacomo, the man pulls the sailor's throat from his body without a change in expression. The man continues his stare at Giacomo for a moment and says, he tried to steal from me. Giacomo walks up, pulls the tall sailor into the room and tells him to go out the window and wait for him on the porch roof corner. He obeys the request as Giacomo walks back into the hall. Two brothel residents stood by their door, gazing down the hall at him, standing over the body, putting a finger over his lips. He drags the body into the room and empties the sailor's pockets. He climbs out the window and both he and the man leap from the porch roof to the alleyway. Without saying a word, run off towards the docks as the first slivers of light loom on the horizon. Now well away from the scene, 
they approached the trader ships along the customs wharf. Giacomo turns and asks the sailor his name. My name is Melon, he says. And you? Giacomo, I am from the Azores. How about you? I am from the south coast of Scotland. As they continued their individual stories, a voice called from the deck of the trader ship Sea Lion. Hey, sailors, are you looking to sign on, or do you have port papers? Neither, Giacomo responded. At least I don't. Do you, Melon? Nah, been bumming around last few weeks after leaving Ireland. I was fishing, but got tired of it. Well, would you be interested in working on a trader? Responded almost in unison. Never worked one. Have you been out to sea before? Giacomo laughs as he glances at Melon, who also has a mischievous smirk. I, for one, never been out to sea except to catch a boat. Ride to England from my home in the Azores. As for me, a bit, Melon responded. What you paying? Ten bob a month. That will get you a lantern walker and sail loft work. They all laugh, but the person on deck is persistent. If and you do a good job, the captain may be obliged to pay you a portion of the profit. Well, Melon, what you got to lose? If and you stay here, you'll likely get pinched for the dealings at the brothel. You're right about that. Any sign-on bonus if the two of us come on? Sure. I will give you ten bob each. What the hell, Melon? I'm not doing anything. Let's take her for the ride. How long is the trip? From here to South Africa, then the islands, then to the Americas for a bit, and back here. About one year round trip. Two of them offer a hand gesture for the other to step on the gangplank, and with that began a new friendship and a new life for Giacomo aboard the Sea Lion. Now over six years have passed, and they both have worked the trader ship Sea Lion. Anchored in India, a warm sunset breeze offered no relief in the sun-scorched backdrop of the harbor, and the intense heat fueled the shimmering rooftop's rhythmic movement. The pier, strangled with crates and barrels, is matched by the confusion of river skiffs tied up, three and four abreast, some nose to nose. The town's dirt roads are lined with trading company warehouses, the final point of departure for opium and goods produced by farmers and artisans. The buildings butt the edge of mud-rut paths, walls patched and cracked as a dry lake bed. Shards of crumbled mud lay at their base. The windows rimmed by chipped paint and splintering, rotting wood. Airborne spores abound in the dust and heat, finding refuge in the deep cracks, nourished by the sweet nectar of humidity only to peek their tender leaves out for sunlight. The paths shared by people and carts hinder movement, 
while the stench of waste molests the senses as glorified and sacred cows roam freely. The aging bark tied against the jetty looks weathered and beaten, but defies the impression with her stately bowsprit and stout masts reaching for the sun in defiance of nature's temperamental seas. Cargo to be loaded on board the sea line lines the jetty. The captain watches the loading and every breath he requires effort, his chest tight and restricted from the heat. His glare on the horizon relaxed in admiration of the scene before him as the swirl of smoke rises from his meerschaum pipe limp in his teeth. He is a small but stout man with gray around his temples, accenting his tightly cropped beard while a bushy tobacco-stained mustache curls over his upper lip. The deep creases about his eyes are conspicuous when he squints or laughs, making him appear older than his 47 years. His foul language and quick temper are reminders of the years spent on ships from a young age. Now, offset by a wry smirk, the subtle undercurrent chuckle of his seasoned indignant behavior is not the accurate measure of his character. He is easily approached and welcomes discussions on philosophy, science, astronomy, and the nature of life and death. Yellowing books on subjects of science and literature are crammed into his cabin shelves. Giacomo, now his second mate, shares his fascination with nature's beauty and power. He carries himself with an attitude to dissuade any challenge, a black ponytail and a mustache that curves around the sides of his mouth, frame the single gold-wrapped tooth that shines when he smiles. His pant legs, frayed from exposure to seawater and sun, are high on his calves. The contour of his sun-bronzed upper body accentuates his apparent strength. The distinguishing token every sailor earns, having survived sailing around the horn, dangles from an ear. His tool, securely lashed to his waist, gives this Portuguese sailor the look of someone to be reckoned with. Like the captain, he is self-taught and learned to read in his travels at sea. There is a bond of respect shared by both and extends to their opinionated conversations with more profound meaning than jovial banter in a heated debate. Their weekly encounters at the galley table with a bottle of rum and a deck of cards would preclude any subject for discussion. Wallace, the first mate, would attempt to contribute his knowledge outside the realm of sea and ships, but it routinely left him speechless and frustrated. Sensitive to his limits, the captain would bolster his points with support and interest. The crew respected him as a man, a mentor, and the father figure some members never had. They endured his wrath and appreciated his supportive pat on the back. Wallace calls out, Captain George, 
his broad chest, brawny arms, and huge hands, hardened from years at sea, set him apart from the other crew members. Despite his size, the signs of fatigue are evident. Sweat droplets fall from his nose and chin as wet ringlets of red hair rest upon his slumped shoulders. His labored breathing, a result of the oppressive heat in the confined space of the storage hold below deck. Standing before the captain, his tattered shirt is stained with pine pitch from rubbing against the hull seams. Captain George, the forward hold is full. We are ready to start on the stern hold. Shall I have the men ready the main boom to lower the cargo of opium? Aye, Wallace, and have Giacomo come up on deck. Tell him to make time. The sun is setting. Don't want him to miss this one. Going to be a beauty. Aye, sir. First captain's long gait shortens the approach to the storage hold. Reaching the edge in stride, he jumps into the darkness. Giacomo is in the far corner, out of direct sunlight, holding a long stick with a sharpened point. His yelping mimics the sound of someone in pain as the stick moves quickly in and out of the shadows. Finally, a squeal comes from the corner and falls quiet. Gotcha, little bastard. Raising the stick into the air above his head, Giacomo climbs over the boughs of silk and heads for the rope ladder quickly and quietly. Ah, Giacomo, I see you have been hunting again, engaging his second mate before delivering his errand. Aye, sir. He is big as a cat with the hair to match. The captain said to fetch you. The sun is setting. Nodding, Giacomo takes hold of the stick in both hands, pulling back looks up from the storage hold, and whips the stick towards the sky, sending the rat into a long, sweeping arc. A crew member standing just forward at the rail edge cries out, Mother of God, what was that? Clearing the rail, the rat disappears in the sweeping current. Giacomo made quick work of the rope ladder and stride as his legs hit the deck. Ah, Giacomo, you made it just in time, my friend. Isn't it beautiful? So large on the horizon. Aye, sir. The two men stand quietly, forming a silhouette against the setting sun. Relighting his pipe, the smoke billows from his mouth as Giacomo lets out a short sigh of pleasure. I love India's sunsets. They are different here. The heat, the thick, heavy air as you breathe. Oppressive, yet beautiful. I agree with that, Giacomo. They are different. Both remain as the sun continues his journey past the horizon. The two are silent, each in their thoughts. Two friends with their hands clasped behind their back, each puffing on their pipe. The captain with his meerschaum and Giacomo with his tobacco-stained clay pipe. Below them, the rain-swollen river overwhelms the bank, carrying large branches and parts of huts built close to the shore, swiftly down the river. 
The rainy season is always tricky in India. People bathe and pray precariously close to the rushing force of the current on the river's edge and take a victim off their feet and twirl them with the grip of a crocodile twisting and rolling the body along the bottom of the river suddenly popping to the surface too late for a breath. In the rushing froth two small animal carcasses roll by quickly followed by a child's body. Face down is indistinguishable from the brown of the river except the black hair on the child's head. Naked, the clothing ripped from the body by the river's force. There goes another life, Giacomo, never to live out their caste. A damn shame. Yes, it is, Captain, a damn shame for sure. Such sweet-hearted people. The family will mourn the loss and ability to surface this child's soul to ash properly. They remain for the last glimpse of the sun's corona, and without a word, Giacomo turns away to resume his duties at hunting the shadows of the forward hold. Giacomo cups his hands and yells out for his lead deckhand, Melon! For more details about the RV Book Fair guests and to explore our upcoming events, visit our website at www.relatable-media.com Stay tuned for more great stories and author spotlights. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening, and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.